0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello, my fellow believers, and welcome back to the Combat Bets podcast on the Believe Network. I'm your host, Jason Barron. I'd like to start off this week's episode by recapping UFC 247. It was a pretty strong fight card. That took place in Houston, Texas from the Toyota Center. The first fight to get the pay-per-view started. Was Derek Lewis against Ilar Latifi. Now uh, in this matchup it was mainly a power puncher in Derek Lewis. Against a wrestler predominantly in Latifius, A Swedish fighter. And uh, the decision ended up going the way of Derek Lewis. In fact, a unanimous decision uh, on the cards that they claimed he won two rounds while Latifi won one round. Uh, in the post-fight analysis, the commentator, specifically Dominic Cruz, was uh, really going at the judging, saying they didn't had no idea what they were looking at because during the fight, Latifi was able to score some takedowns on Derrick Lewis and uh, keep him on the ground. If you look at the stats in the post fight, he actually had 8 minutes and 54 um, seconds of uh, control time, which is a significant amount. And uh, when you look at the totals, significant strikes, Derrick Lewis uh, outlanded him. But uh, on the ground, Latifi definitely dominated. So it's somewhat a questionable decision. And for a fighter like Derek Lewis, who's still looking to be at the top of the mountain in the heavyweight division, a win against Latifi is big for him because Latifi is definitely a quality opponent. And I thought the decision was also questionable. It really could have gone either way. And uh, they ended up giving it to Lewis, the American fighter. And, uh, you know, congrats for that. He got a big win. Moving on to the next fight, it was Bekic versus Ige. It went to a split decision for Ige. Had some good action, some good back and forth. Um, and Ige won because he was able to outland him and outstrike him. He really showed some good movement in there. And it was a close fight that, you know, could have gone either way. But with questionable judging and, uh, you know, in the post-fight analysis, uh, the Joe Rogan and the others were saying that sometimes for these MMA matches, they don't even get judges that are specifically for MMA sometimes they have boxing judges and since each uh, state has a different commission it's not like there's a uniform set of rules for uh, UFC fighters to follow it varies state to state so these fighters have to keep this in mind depending on uh, where the UFC event is taking place and this once again showed its head during you know many of the fights on UFC 247 and uh, the Derek Lewis fight and the fight with uh, Bekic and Ige are just uh, two prime examples of this once again. And we see that uh, in fact judging is an imperfect system and sometimes the deserved winner does not always uh, get the decision. It's uh, obviously a problem that is not in other sports like basketball or football where there is an actual score. You know, this is more subjective and uh, one person's opinion against another. And, you know, it decides the fate of these fighters' careers, to be honest. Moving on from that fight, we saw a great performance uh, in in the next fight between uh, Justin Taffa and Adams. Uh, and uh, Taffa ended up getting the knockout in the first round, two minutes in. He just looked like he had the speed advantage in this heavyweight matchup and was able to land a few punches and finish it off with a nice strike on the ground and uh, ended the fight in the first round in an explosive performance. And uh, Tafa could be someone to watch out for in the coming fights. He is a uh, an Australian fighter and could definitely be a force to be reckoned with in the heavyweight division as he did show great movement for a man of his size and uh great fluidity with his striking attacks i really thought and uh really had one of the most impressive performances uh, out of anyone uh the whole night and uh he he got got the you know the pay-per-view uh, a great knockout and uh you know so fans were able to see uh you know what he can do it uh when he gets the chance. And he came through in uh, this against another prospect in Adams. And clearly uh, Tafa is on the way up. In the coming event, we had Valentina Shevchenko defending her flyweight title against Caitlin Chikugian. What can really be said against Shevchenko that hasn't already been been said? She is such a phenomenal fighter, man or woman. She is one of the best fighters in the world. And she showed that once again completely dominating her taller opponent. She had 3 minutes and 28 seconds of control time on the ground, and she was 3 for 3 on her takedown attempts. So this just shows that Valentina was able to beat her up on the feet and also take her down anytime she wanted to the ground. And once Valentina was able to take Chikugian down to the ground, she was able to keep her uh, on the mat for the duration of the round. And the end of the fight ended up coming in the third round uh, after Chevchenko landed a beautiful takedown and got her uh, in a cradle position where Chikugian's arms were underneath, trapped underneath Chevchenko's legs so she could do nothing to defend herself. And Chevchenko rained down a few ground and pound punches before the ref had no choice but to step in and stop the fight. And in the post-fight interview, Joe Rogan was saying, there's not really any opponents for Shevchenko to fight anymore because she's pretty much cleared out the division. So really, what next is for this great fighter from Dagestan? And we'll have to see who Shevchenko's next opponent is. But for now, her and Amanda Nunes, I believe, are the two best women's fighters in MMA. And maybe they'll fight again a third fight. Who knows? Um, That would be another great super fight. And uh, other than that, I don't know really who could match up against Chevchenko and actually give her, you know, a competitive fight. She's just showing that each fight she's getting better and better. And against Chikugian, so, so that some people thought maybe had a chance because of her length and her striking fluidity, really had no chance because Shevchenko was just able to control the octagon, control the range, and take her down really whenever she wanted to. Moving on to the main event, the big fight on the card, the one that everyone was waiting for between John Jones and Dominic Reyes. Now, John Jones won this fight by unanimous decision, looking at the scores of the judges, 49-46, 48-47, and 48-47 for Jones. That means that two of the judges thought that Reyes won two rounds, and Jones won 3 rounds. While the other judge thought that Jones won 4 rounds and Reyes won 1 round. Now I don't know what the hell that judge was looking at because watching the fight it was very very competitive and really the decision could have gone either way. The first 3 rounds most people agree that Dominic Reyes won and then the last 2 rounds Dominic Reyes kind of ran out of gas And Jones was able to win those rounds uh, because he had more energy and was able to get off more of his striking attacks. But make no doubt about it. If this was just a three-round fight, Jones would probably not be the light heavyweight champion of the world right now. And many think, despite this, that Reyes still won the fight. But the end of the fight... Uh, kind of sticks in people's minds more than the early rounds because that is the end of the fight that is the championship rounds the fourth and fifth rounds and in those rounds Jones showed exactly why he is the greatest light heavyweight the UFC has ever seen Uh, during the fight I thought Reyes was faster than him I thought he showed better movement I thought he was able to land his striking attacks much better and with more consistency than Jones was And really showed that Jones might be starting to decline. And that he might not always be the champion. And we also saw this in Jones' previous fight. When he fought Thiago Santos. It looked like Jones had maybe lost a step. Like he wasn't using all his striking attacks like he could be. And even during the Reyes fight. We kind of saw Jones uh, start to panic a little bit. There was one point in the fight where... Uh, Reyes had landed a few good strikes on Jones, and you know had him wobbled a little bit. And Jones would not be denied. This is what the heart of a champion does in these championship-level moments. He went for a takedown so hard because he knew he had to get Reyes to the ground so Reyes would stop hitting him. And he eventually he got that takedown. And in the post-fight interview, Reyes was saying that, sure, I did get taken down. But those takedowns weren't really doing any damage. So the question is, in the eyes of the judging, should the takedowns be really counted that much when D- Reyes was winning the stand-up battles? Or should the takedowns still you know, factor in big time to the decision, which uh, you would guess did happen since Jones uh, did end up winning a controversial unanimous decision? I thought uh, going into the post-fight judging that it would at least be a split decision victory for Jones, but the questionable unanimous decision, I just uh, don't see how that could happen because give Reyes a lot of credit. He fought a great fight. He fought exactly the type of fight you want to fight against Jones. A lot of head movement, a lot of getting in and out, a lot of giving him different angles, uh, different patterns of movement, and uh, not make it so Jones that... Uh, can just get his timing down now uh, if they do have a rematch between Jones and uh, Dominic Reyes I would say the one thing that Reyes really has to improve on for specifically a five-round marathon fight he has to improve on his stamina and not get gassed out like he did in the fourth and fifth rounds because if Reyes kept up the same level of pace which is you know nearly impossible uh, for the full five rounds then most likely he does win that fight and win it emphatically. And there were a few times uh, when Jones was clearly tested, but he showed the heart of a champion, and give him credit for uh, you know sticking it out in the, those last few rounds when it looked like this might be Rays' night. Um, and the controversial judging aside, it was a great, great fight, and overall a pretty strong fight card. And if you didn't get a chance to watch... UFC 247 the replay uh, is on the ESPN app so check it out and for Jones going into his next fight what he really has to improve on is being more fluid in his striking and um, getting off to better starts because in his past two fights he has really got, gone off to slow starts that nearly cost him his title so he kind of has to look at uh, being a faster starter in the early rounds and um, getting his strikes off with more fluidity. And also, he should work, da- work uh, some more on his uh, takedown effectiveness because while he was able to take Reyes down during the fight, uh, Reyes was able to get right back up and uh, continue the stand-up battle. So Jones should look to improve on his hip placement, on where he's uh, you know, attempting these takedowns, so when he does fight Dominic Reyes again, if they do have a rematch, he will be able to take him down and keep him down for longer periods of time. As we have seen him do against fighters uh, like Alexander Gustafson in the past. So we'll see if uh, Jones does indeed improve and uh, Dominic Reyes. I would actually love to see Dominic Reyes take on Thiago Santos, the two past opponents for John Jones. Because I think right now, besides Jones, Reyes and Santos are probably the two best light heavyweights uh, right now. And it would be great to see them fight against each other. And then the, the winner between uh, Santos and Reyes should once again get to fight for the title against John Jones. As for who I would like to see John Jones fight next, personally, I'd like to see him move up to heavyweight and take on Stepe Miocic. Because I think in that fight, even though Miocic is the bigger man, uh, you look at the measurables, and Jones is the longer fighter. He would have the reach advantage, and he would also have the speed advantage. So it would be a great super fight uh, if that did happen. And if that does not happen, I would love to see Israel Adesanya move up to light heavyweight. Right now he fights at 185 pounds. He's the champion there. And I'd like to see him move up to light heavyweight to take on John Jones for his title. I think uh, John Jones definitely has a lot of options for his next opponents, and I'd love for them to be Stepe Miocic and Israel Adesanya. We'll see if I get my wish, and if uh, fellow Fight fans also get their wish. Now moving on, let me recap some boxing for you. Thank you. From Sheffield, England, we had Kel Brook taking on Mark DeLuca. And this fight was on February 8th. And Kelbrook made his return to the ring for the first time since December of 2018. And he looked quite good in his uh, return to the ring in which he won the vacant WBO intercontinental light middleweight title. And he took on an American fighter, Mark DeLuca. Kelbrook Brook is a British fighter who's had quite the career with only two losses to Gennady Golovkin and Errol Spence Jr. And uh, against DeLuca, who is really an opponent uh, a few levels below the skill level of Cal Brook, uh, Brook was able to show why he is clearly the superior fighter, as he was really able to hit his opponent without getting hit, and DeLuca, uh, one of his only defenses was uh, to grab and hold Brook to stop from uh, continuing to get hit. And DeLuca's uh, usual form of defense would be just to put his hands up above uh, his face to try to block his face from being hit. And uh, without much head movement, it was only a matter of time before Brook would get the knockout. And that ended up happening in the seventh round where Kell landed a beautiful left hook that really didn't look like he had too much power in it but he got the right amount of leverage and the right amount of force on it and it put DeLuca down and uh, the accumulation of punches combined with that beautiful one punch knockout uh, really showed that Kell is ready uh, to take on boxing once again and to fight you know the best in his division and you know the future is bright for Kelbrook, and we'll see who his next opponent is but he clearly is not retired and he said it himself in his post-fight interview that he would love to be a world champion again and he's going to work hard towards that goal so we'll see if Kell Brook is indeed success- successful but he looked absolutely spectacular against Mark DeLuca, and uh, the future is once again bright for Kelbrook and uh, we'll see what fights he has, and how much uh, you know fight he has left in him, because he does have a lot of fights uh, on his record, 41 total fights, and he is getting older in age, as he is uh, 33 years old. So I don't think he can can compete with the level of guys like Gennady Golovkin or AL Spence Jr. But I'd like to take like to see him take on smaller fighters, maybe Terence Crawford, although he would likely lose that fight as well. But uh, I don't know if he could make one forty and fight a guy like Jose Ramirez. But I'd love to see uh, you know him challenging for world titles coming up. Because what he showed against Mark DeLuca is elite boxing skill that can't be taught. And, uh, you know, he deserves big fights, big world title fights. And uh, 2020 should be a big year for Kelbrook. Brook. Moving on from that fight, we go to Allentown, Pennsylvania uh, for the fight card that happened on February 8th. And in the co-main event, we had Guillermo Rigandao against Libero Solis. Rigandao is a famed Cuban amateur with over 200 amateur fights and, uh, you know, some Olympic gold medals, uh, all the way dating back to the 2000 Sydney Games and then the 2004 Athens Games. So, really, um, Guillermo Rigandao is one of the greatest uh, boxers to ever fight, and while he may not uh, always draw the biggest number of fans, he has some of the greatest skill level uh, that I've ever seen. Uh, he stands at five foot five with a 68-inch reach, and he is 39 years old. Uh, a Cuban fighter, and in his last fight, he took on Libero Solis and won by split decision. And during that fight, he was able to score... A knockdown, uh, I believe in the 7th round, but he could not get Solis out of there. And during the fight, there were some boos because his style is not always the most exciting. But if you're a true boxing fan, you can really see the beauty in what he's doing. He has great footwork. He's able to hit and not really get hit. So sometimes the action can be a low action fight, but... Uh, it's amazing to watch such a skilled tactician uh, work his magic inside the ring. And while he might not always get a knockout, he usually uh, frustrates his opponent a lot. And you saw that with Solis, who couldn't really uh, land that many punches on uh, on Rigandau. And uh, Rigandau is getting up there in age, so uh, we'll see who he fights next. But I'd definitely like to see him take uh you know on a fighter that is at his level or a little better I'd like to see him take on the fighter Inui, a Japanese fighter that did recently beat Nonito Donaire in the World Boxing Super Series final uh because I think Inui could really push uh Rigandau and maybe get the knockout and I think it would be an exciting fight but I don't know if that fight will happen because it's hard to make a fight with Rigandao given his style that's not so fan-friendly and is really more a tactician that is always looking for the slightest advantage or a different angle that he can uh, insert himself in and land his punches that uh, sometimes his opponents don't see coming. Moving on from that fight into the main event, we had Gary Russell Jr., five foot four and a half. With a 64-inch reach, against his opponent Tuk Scott Nyambabar, a Mongolian fighter who stands at five foot eight with a 66-inch reach, and it was his first professional loss against Gary Russell Jr., a unanimous decision loss, uh, and it was for the WBC featherweight title. And during the fight, once again. Gary Russell Jr. showed his elite hand speed and elite ability to move around the ring and create different angles to get his uh, shots off. And I said it in the pre-fight analysis in last week's episode that I thought Nyamah Barr would have to bully the smaller Russell and make it a, a little bit of an ugly fight and get on the inside. And at times he actually was effective in doing this and getting on the inside and making it a competitive fight. And this forced Russell to really push the pace in those later rounds to make sure he did not lose a decision. And give credit to Russell, he won the early rounds pretty easily, and then Nyamabar started having some success in those middle rounds, bullying him, being the bigger fighter, and landing his shots. But uh, Russell turned it up in those later rounds, upped his level once again, and showed why he's one of the greatest boxers in any weight division because you can't match his speed you can't match his ring activity and uh this was just one of the great high speed chess matches and uh naima bar really showed that he can you know fight with the lead in division and in, in gary russell jr and be competitive but sometimes there's just another level of athlete, another level of skill that most of us humans can't really compare. And that is uh, indeed the case with Gary Russell Jr. who says he takes inspiration or takes his knowledge of fighting, he says, from his African ancestors, and all that is put into him and makes him the fighting warrior that he is. And it looks like... You know, like I believe that. I believe that there is a greater purpose to Gary Russell Jr. more than just boxing. I believe he's showing people how to live a better life, how to give your all to a craft. And while, of course, us as fans would love to see him fight more often in the ring, each time he does fight, it uh, always makes me, as a fan, appreciative of the skill level, of the speed and of the, you know, discipline that Gary Russell Jr. has to have as a fighter to always stay in shape around the year, no matter how often he's fighting in the ring. And it was also a successful night for his brothers, who also won uh, previously on the fight card. Obviously, uh, you know, Gary Russell Jr. looks like he comes from a fighting family, and him as the head of it is obviously making his family very proud. And I, there's not many fighters that can match Gary Russell Jr. Like I said with Guillermo out previously. I'd love for Russell Jr. to test himself against Inoue, the Japanese fighter. Uh, but out of those you know, smaller fighters, he's already fought Lomachenko. Maybe a rematch against him could happen. Uh, We'll see what happens. And uh, like I said earlier, I was impressed with Nyamabar. He did better than I thought he would. And uh, Russell Jr. showed even though he was tested, he can still raise his level. And with his elite stamina, he never seems to get tired and uh, is always controlling the distance and the pace of the rounds. And even though Nyamabar was able to bully him somewhat, I thought that Russell Jr. showed the heart of a champion, and why indeed he is one of the most skilled uh, boxing tacticians and uh, you know co- combination punchers in in the whole sport. And while he may not have the the most power, because I'm sure his fans want wanted to see a knockout, we still got to see great skill level. And uh, and Nyahbar had a good chin. Give him credit for staying in there and you know fighting the fight he did because. He ended up making it a very entertaining fight. And uh, I I really enjoyed seeing Russell Jr. once again in the ring. And looking at the CompuBox fights for uh, the fight between Gary Russell and uh, Tukskokzot Nyamabar. We saw that Russell Jr. uh, landed 134 out of a possible 867 punches at a 15% connect rate. While Nyamabar landed 122 punches out of 707 thrown at a 17% connect rate with jabs 30 for 468 for Russell Jr., and which is 6% uh, connect rate. And then for Nyama bar 21 out of 225 jabs with a 9% connect rate. And then looking at the power punches... We had Russell Jr. landing 104 out of a possible 399, which is a 26% connect rate. And then for Niamabar, we had 101 punches landed out of a possible 482 for a 21% connect rate. So looking at the stats, 867 punches is a whole lot to throw and give... Russell Jr. for continuing to be active even though he only landed 15% of his total punches. But it was enough to earn the decision and showed why Russell Jr. can keep up that hand speed for a duration of 12 rounds. And uh, the number of punches thrown in a 12-round fight is utterly ridiculous. And uh, one of the reasons why... Uh, these smaller weight divisions can often be so exciting and so high-paced for uh, fans to watch. Moving on from boxing and back to MMA, uh, I'd like to preview UFC Fight Night Anderson vs. Blachowicz 2. And it's from the Santa Ana Star Center in Rio Rancho, New Mexico. Prelims start on ESPN+ at 2pm pacific time and the main card starts at on ESPN Plus at 5pm pacific time starting out here with the co-main event uh, we have Diego Sanchez against Pereira, Michael Pereira and looking at uh, Michael Pereira's most recent fights, he is a, a Brazilian fighter he uh, did have three wins against one Jun Choi, then Sung Kim, and then followed that up with uh, a win over Danny Roberts. And the Danny Roberts win was his uh, UFC debut, and that uh, came on May 18th of 2019. And then in his second fight in the UFC, He lost a unanimous decision to Tristan Connolly. And he is now getting getting the co-main event slot against Diego Sanchez. And with only uh, 10 losses on his record and 23 wins, it's clear that Pereira has a lot of fights left in him. And it remains to be seen how good of a signing he ends up being for the UFC. And then moving on to his opponent, Diego Sanchez, and looking at his recent record in Sanchez's last fight out, he lost to Michael Chiesa by unanimous decision. But previous to that, he got a KO win against Mickey Gall and a unanimous decision over Craig White. But uh, despite these wins, it's clear that Sanchez can't compete with fighters who are at a higher skill level than him because he has lost to Matt Brown, Ala Quinta, Joe Lozon, Ricardo Lamas, Miles Jury, Gilmer Melendez, Jake Ellenberger. Uh, fighters that are just a step above Sanchez, but give credit to Sanchez who uh, made his professional debut. All the way back in uh, 2002. And he's still fighting 18 years later in uh, 2020. Pretty, pretty incredible uh, career for Sanchez that he's been able to carve out for himself. And now at 38 years old, Sanchez is towards the end of his career. But whenever he's in a fight, you can always count on it to be an exciting fight. Win or lose for Sanchez. He always gives it his all and always uh, makes sure the fans are entertained. So look out for that fight, a co-main event uh, for the UFC Fight Night. And then in the main event, we have a light heavyweight rematch between Corey Anderson and Jan Blakowicz. This is a rematch because they fought once before in 2015. And uh, starting out with Jan Blokowicz who is a Polish fighter, um, he has 25 wins and 8 losses. And uh, he actually has quite the impressive record because he's fought a lot of uh, the elite light heavyweights in the division. And uh, looking at his record, most recently he got a win over the great Jacare Souza. It was a split decision, so it was a close fight, But Blachowicz was able to win because of his all-around effectiveness as a fighter. And then before that, he was able to get a a second-round KO, TKO win over Luke Rockhold. And uh, this really showed that Rockhold is kind of over the hill in terms of his fighting skills. And Blachowicz was really able to expose that. And then previous to that, he lost to Thiago Santos, By uh, KO in the third round. And uh, gave credit to Blockowitz for fighting. But he could not quite end the fight. And uh, ended up getting knocked out. But other than that. He uh, beat Nikita Krolov. Jimmy Manoa. Jared Cundinier. Devin Clark. But he did lose uh, to Alexander uh, Gustafson. Patrick Cummins. Corey Anderson. Uh, previous to that so this is a rematch and uh this is quite an interesting time to have a rematch between anderson and blachowicz because anderson is really on the way up and uh blachowicz also is on the way up uh considering his you know most recent fights and uh the great performances that he's been putting on uh since his loss to thiago santos and uh Moving on to Anderson's record, we saw he got a knockout against Johnny Walker, and it was actually an upset win because Johnny Walker was thought to be the darling of the light heavyweight division because of his length and skills, but uh, Corey Anderson put a quick end to that as he got a KO in the first round and really exposed Walker's uh, defensive liabilities. And then previous to that, he got a uni- unanimous decision over Eler Latifi and then another decision over Glover Teixeira and Patrick Cummins. And previous to that, he was kind of on the downswing because he had two KO losses to Jimmy Manoa and Ovin St. Preux back-to-back. But give credit to Corey Anderson for learning from those losses because he is now on a four fight win streak and will want to make it five against Blockowitz. Now looking at the odds for this fight, it actually uh, is a pretty even matched fight between two great light heavyweights. Anderson comes in at a minus 210 favorite, while blockwitz comes in at plus 175 underdog. This is kind of a hard fight to pick because both fighters are at similar skill level and both fighters have fought other fighters, and uh, you know have uh, common opponents that both of them have fought in the past. So, looking at the measurables for this fight, Anderson stands at six three, Blockowitz is at six two, both at two o five. Anderson has a one inch reach advantage, and uh, considering their overall skill level. I would consider Blockowitz to be the better overall wrestler and um, Anderson to be perhaps the better striker. But I am going to have to go with Blockowitz to get the upset win here because I think he just has a little more well-roundedness to his game. And while Anderson has looked spectacular, specifically in his last fight against Johnny Walker... I just think the consistency that Blachowicz has showed and since his loss to Corey Anderson back in 2015, both fighters have steadily improved. And uh, Blachowicz really only having uh, one loss to Thiago Santos, which is really nothing to uh, you know be ashamed of because Santos is a great light heavyweight and uh, wins over the likes of Jacare Souza, And Suza, I would actually consider to be a better fighter than Corey Anderson uh, in terms of skill level and stamina. And then also win over, you know, Luke Rockhold. Those are pretty impressive considering Rockhold, you know, was once the champion. And so I'm going to go with upset here, the slight upset at a plus 175 underdog. And I'm going to pick Blachowicz to get a win. And I'm going to say a decision win. Uh, because I think he'll be able to control Anderson uh, and take him down and, you know, um, uh, control him for enough, uh, you know, seconds of the fight. And then also on the stand up, I think uh, while Anderson may have the slight, slight speed advantage, I like Blachowicz's power as he has been getting uh, KOs, uh, you know, recently. And he can also finish. Uh, a fighter on the ground as he does have a few submission victories as he is a uh, has 9 submission victories in his career moving on from MMA and back to boxing on February 14th from Anaheim, California, we have a strong fight card that will be streamed on DAZN and it is in fact on Valentine's Day, February 14th, so maybe watch with your significant other this fight card Uh, and and in the main event we have Ryan Garcia versus Francisco Fonseca and then in the co-main event Jorge Linares versus Carlos Morales and I'll start uh, previewing the co-main event with Jorge Linares. Linares has an impressive professional record of 46 wins and five losses and uh, his most a uh, recent loss came to Pablo Cesar Cano where he lost by first round TKO and that fight was for the WBC International Silver Light Welterweight title and during this fight Linares attempted to move up in weight uh, to try to capture another title but Cesar Cano proved to be too big and knocked him down a few times before the referee had no choice but to stop the fight as Cano Uh, was just landing too many punches on him and overwhelming him and really exposed Linares that he really should not be fighting bigger fighters because they can take advantage just as Cesar Cano did in a truly impressive performance. But since that loss, he followed that up with a win against Al Toyogin, a unanimous decision win, and that was in September 7th of 2019. So against Carlos Morales... I like Jorge Linares to win this fight by decision. I think his overall skill is a bit better than Morales. And he's been in against some great fighters. And he also uh, fought Vasily Lomachenko, although he lost to him by 10th round knockout. And even though Linares did get knocked out, it was still a very competitive fight where, in fact, Linares got a surprise knockdown of Lomachenko early on it, earlier on in the fight. He also got a split decision win against Luke Campbell and two unanimous decision wins over Anthony Crowla, two fighters that Vasily Lomachenko also fought and also has been. Switching it over to Carlos Morales and looking at his recent record, he had a unanimous decision loss to Alberto Machado, and he's also lost to Ryan Garcia by majority decision. Ryan Garcia is the fighter in the main event. He's also lost to Rene Alvarado by unanimous decision. Followed that up with two KO victories over Pedro Navarrete and Roquiste Cristobal. And he's coming off a draw against Mercito Gesta. Gesta, a good fighter in his own right. Gesta also fought Jorge Linares but lost to him by unanimous decision. And looking at the tape from Morales, I just think that Linares will have the speed advantage and that Morales, while he might be the bigger fighter in the ring, he certainly won't be the best fighter that Linares has faced in his career and I think Linares has learned from his losses to Pablo Cesarcano and Lomachenko to really be able to duck and dodge with a little more fluidity and also to get off his punches with more accuracy. And I think you're going to see a renewed Jorge Linares in there against a hungry Morales. And it should be a very competitive fight that really could go either way. But I'm going to go uh, with Linares just because he does have the better resume in terms of opponents that he has fought before. And uh, Linares usually beats fighters at the level of a uh, Carlos Morales. And since Morales has lost to Ryan Garcia in fighters uh, in that uh, you know realm of skill I think that Lenaris will just have a little too much for Morales to win and I will take Lenaris to win a decision victory over Morales and Linares has a lot more experience in championship level fights and this is another step in the right direction for Linares who should be able to take advantage of an opponent that doesn't have his experience level or his speed or the ability to get in and out of of range as Linares is so adept at doing and he's shown the ability to to do it against taller fighters like Luke Campbell and also challenging Lomachenko at times during their fight. So look forward to that coming event on a pretty strong fight card and then moving on to the main event we have Ryan Garcia against Francisco Fonseca. Ryan Garcia is one of the most exciting prospects in all of boxing and at only 21 years old he's already shown the ability to get knockouts. Standing at 5 foot 10 and with a 70 inch reach he's a Mexican American and Canelo Canelo Alvarez has taken him under his wing to give you an idea of the level of skill that this young fighter uh, seems to bring to the ring each time he steps in. And looking at his professional boxing record. He is undefeated with 19 wins. With 16 coming by knockout. And 3 by decision. So this guy is truly a finisher. He's coming off a first round KO over Romero Duno. He previously beat Jose Lopez by TKO in the second round. Going back before that. A KO over Braulio Rodriguez. And then previous to that a majority decision over Carlos Morales the fighter in the co-main event taking on Jorge Linares so looking at his recent wins it seems like Ryan Garcia is ready for a step up in competition and I don't know if Francisco Fonseca is necessarily the best boxer but he should provide a pretty decent challenge to Ryan Garcia although I do think the size Advantage for Ryan Garcia might just be too much for Fonseca to overcome. And looking at the measurables, Fonseca is 26, standing at five foot seven and a half, with a 69 and a half inch reach. And then moving back to Ryan Garcia, he's 5'10" with a 70 inch reach. So that's about a three inch height advantage, and also about a three inch reach advantage and the considering the division that he fights in which is at lightweight and super featherweight he's usually the bigger fighter in there against the opponents that he faces and this will once again be true against Francisco Fonseca who only has a few losses on his record as his professional record is 25-2-2 two and two, with two losses and two draws and in fact in his last, last fight against Alex del magni he did get a majority decision draw so he will not want to get a draw against ryan garcia although i am going to pick garcia to get a knockout just because i think his power is absolutely unbelievable and at such a young age he's already shown a skill level years beyond and i i think really the sky is the limit for ryan garcia and if he does get past francisco fonseca and does it in an emphatic fashion there's no doubt He's ready for a step up in competition. And looking at Francisco's record, he's a very quality fighter with only losses to Tevin Farmer by unanimous decision and Gervonta Davis by KO in the 8th round. So considering those are his only two career losses to great fighters in Gervonta Davis and Tevin Farmer, and there is no doubt that uh Francisco Fonseca is a very quality fighter, but the fighters that he lost to in Farmer and Gervonta Davis are much smaller in stature than Ryan Garcia. And I don't know how well he's going to do with a fighter that has not only the power, but also the height to really give Fonseca problems for their whole fight. Uh, And I think it'll end. I'm going to pick Garcia By a 5th or 6th round knockout, Fonseca is quite slight in stature and quite slight in build. And I think the bigger Garcia will be able to take advantage of this and just bully him around the ring. And for Francisco Fonseca to really have a chance in this fight, he's going to have to up his ring activity. He's going to have to throw a lot of jabs, a lot of punches, and really try to keep Garcia at bay with his punching combinations But I don't think that will happen for that long and I expect Garcia to overtake him and get a stoppage win. So watch out for that because Garcia is one of the most exciting fighters in all of boxing and at only 21 years old he's already on the way up and could soon be fighting for world championships. And with Canelo Alvarez supporting him the future is very bright for Ryan Garcia and it's a great signing for Dezan so tune, in, tune into that card, which is again February 14th, Friday on Valentine's Day. Moving on from that fight, from Nashville, Tennessee on Fox and Fox Deportes. In the main event, we have Caleb Plant versus Vincent Feigebuntz, 12 rounds for Plant's IBF Super Middleweight title. And what I like about Plant is that he's a pretty great finisher. Once he has a guy hurt, he is able to land accurate enough punches to usually get him out of there. And looking at his recent record, he is undefeated with 19 wins, 11 coming by knockout, and 8 by decision. Plant is coming off a TKO victory over Mike Lee in the third round. Previous to that, he earned a unanimous decision victory over Jose Uskagetti. And previous to that, a unanimous decision win over Rogelio Medina. So it's clear that he's recently taken a step up in competition. And he will be making his return to the ring on February 15th against the German fighter Vincent Fugubens And he looked great in his last fight against Mike Lee, a third round knockout at the MGM Grand Garden Arena in uh, Las Vegas Nevada and I'm not really too familiar for, with Vincent Fugubens, but watching little tape on him I think that plant will have the speed advantage over him and how he's built is actually quite compact as he is as Fagubens is 5 foot 10 with a 75 inch reach and looking at his record he's actually more experienced in terms of professional fights than Caleb Plant is with 31 wins and only 2 losses and he's coming off a TKO victory over Cesar Nunez and that was back in August of 2019 Fugye Benz is quite a rugged fighter with the ability to fight on the inside and really make it a dirty fight and he does have quite the impressive knockout percentage with 28 wins by knockout and only three by decision, and with two losses, and those two losses came to Giovanni De Carlios and early on in his career to Roman Javovev. Plant will need to use his jab to keep the aggressive vagabonds off of him, and he should also look to get in and out of range because Plant will not want to be a stationary target against Bunts because that's often the fighters he's able to take advantage of and knock out. So I like Plant to get the win here and I like to get and I like for him to get the win by knockout because I think he does have the power and the ability to get the punches that he needs landed and I don't think that Fugibunts is the best fighter that Plant has fun in his career. I would think that Ho- Jose Uska Getty is probably the highest level of opponent that Plant has faced. And if Plant looks impressive in this fight, I like for him to get bigger fights down the road. And we'll see how Fox markets him. Because fighting at super middleweight at 160 pounds, there are some big fights to make. But the question is, is Plant ready for those big fights? And if he gets an emphatic knockout over his opponent on Saturday then against Fuggybentz then he couldn't in fact put himself in line to fight you know some of those bigger fights that he's looking for and looking at his measurables plant is six foot one with a 74 inch reach and he is 27 years old so you know 27 he's right in the range of his athletic prime and I'm gonna pick plant here to get a late stoppage win in the 10th to 12th round K.O. So watch out for that. It will be a Fox card. Coming up this Saturday on February 15th. Thank you so much for listening my fellow believers. This concludes episode number 5. Of the Combat Bets podcast. On the Believe Network. And for any of my fans or listeners. That would like to email in questions. That I could answer on next week's show, feel free to email me at jason.baron246 at gmail.com. That's jason.baron246 at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and check back next week where I preview the huge heavyweight fight between Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder. I'm really looking forward to that rematch. It's one of the biggest heavyweight fights in the history of boxing. And it will really determine who is the king in the heavyweight division. So tune in for that preview coming up next week. And that fight will be happening on February 22nd. And it is one that you definitely do not want to miss. Once again, thank you so much for listening my fellow believers. Kobe forever, Mamba forever.